You know what? Here I am in my little closet booth doing voiceover auditions. Haven't done an episode of Ouch My 30s in weeks. And uh, you know what? It's time to get down to it. Intro music! I don't have intro music yet. Um, Hey guys, what's going up? Welcome to your podcast that explores the decade no one prepared us for, uh, our 30s. Um, Last episode was probably a couple weeks ago, maybe almost a month. Um, There was a great betrayal. I was the victim of a duplicity, a diabolical betrayal, an undermining of friendship and the binds of unity by which we seek kinship in one another. A uh, business slash group of friends asked me to stop doing stand-up in front of their establishment. Um, it rapidly declined from there. Uh, I don't even, honestly, I don't, even really, I don't even remember what I say on these podcasts. <laughs> they were offended. Uh, like rich white people tend to be. We're not rich! We just own two businesses! Uh, they're nice people. Like most white liberals. They mean well. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, well, I don't know what happened. I, I was like injured also. So I, I stopped doing the comedy. I went back and did it one more time. I think, um, I stood across the street from their business, uh, on this, like, uh, like, I, I think they used to sell slaves on this like podium that's like built into the, the place is the four corners of Kingston. And it has this really, uh, historical significance because the, uh, continental Congress was convened there. Uh, I think before or after the Revolutionary War to like get these get these civil rights out or lack thereof uh, on paper. So I mean, like I don't I just don't really give a fuck. I'm I'm so focused on other things that a younger Duval or a less perturbed Duval uh, would have like I would have been in front of their business every day naked, or I would have I would have dressed up as a runaway slave and hired a white person to whip me, and I would have been like, this is what they're doing to me, trying to deprive me of my god. Giving rice, ah! uh, but I'm just—I just don't give a fuck, really. I just want comedy clubs to open up again, and I just determined. Look, they're nice people. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. I don't even remember. That's the beauty of anger. Like you just—you don't even remember. Like a few weeks go by, you don't even remember what you're actually angry at. Uh, but yeah, I stopped going there. I pretty much stopped doing stand up outside of there because it's just cold. And again, like I, I've got other things going on. Um. Been interviewing for like jobs, uh, like corporate like writing gigs that I'm not even sure I really want, but uh, I'm like deep into the interview process, so that's cool. Um, what else has been going on? Uh, I've been going deep into the therapy. Oh yes, 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 the therapy, the therapy. Um, so I mentioned my therapist on a previous podcast, and she does occasionally try to bring up like, did you feel that you're heritage as a black man made you feel alienated at your rich private school? I was like, no, I was better than everyone. And I like, I uh, inculcated them into obedience by making them fear me through my rage. Um, Because my mom's boyfriends beat me. (laughs) Um, But on that note, my therapist was talking about, they really wanted to like dial in on this like anger thing that I have um, that I kind of uh, underestimate. And she's like, so have you ever brought this up with your mom? Like these, you know, men in her life and yours that like didn't treat you well. I was like, yeah, I brought it up. And then she said, and I couldn't say the words because my mom, basically, I like confronted her about this like piece of shit who like kicked me in the chest when I was seven and like sent me flying into a wall and no one said anything. Uh, And that still infuriates me. 
but then like bringing that up later um, to my mom like a year ago or a couple months ago uh, before my father was unleashed from prison. She's like, he just did that because he's jealous or like had some insane rationale for why her shitty boyfriend kicked me in the chest. Like like the most delusional, detached uh, uh, explanation you can have. And then when I was sitting with my therapist, like I, I couldn't verbally articulate it. I literally, literally was like, yeah, you know, she said, oh. <clears throat> well, she, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, the thing that really bothered me is when my mom said that, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so it was really poignant uh, for me. And the therapist was just like, it's okay. It was just that terrible. You can't even bring words to it. I was like, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, no, nah, anger anger's tough. And when you're beat up. You know, and then, like, you know, it, therapy is crazy. And it, like, because it helps. It's We all know what we're dealing with on some form or, or another. But what my therapist has been helping me with is sort of aligning these traumas to kind of give a cohesion to the madness that has been my upbringing because when you're just in it you're just in it but like i knew in my gut and in my body which is probably why i'm in fucking pain all the time uh it was just always chaos there's always like madness happening it's just like okay we're living here these people are living in the house okay we're moving here uh all right we don't talk to these people anymore okay here's my boyfriend now okay here's a new guy here's your stepdad oh you have a sister okay now we're living upstate new york okay we don't like yeah yeah uh, so yeah, she, she's kind of helped to sort of bring a cohesion to the fact that my mom has never really stood up for me. She's taken care of me in a, in a very sort of bureaucratic sense where she like got me into the right schools, you know, made sure all my like, you know, what made sure I knew what bills to pay, you know, like all this sort of uh, dispassionate, emotionless stuff she was very good at. But when it came to like protecting me from the chaos of her own shitty decisions, she never did. And I never really, really was able to put that into words. And then, of course, with my father being released from prison, it was, like, the sort of culmination of all these, like, her not, like, looking out for my best interests. And, and that isn't to say, like, she's not allowed to get back with my father. No, it's just more like her not telling me about it was sort of a, a reflection of that pathology of her constantly just, like, not being cognizant of the effect that her decisions in her life would have on me. Um, and as a 34-year-old, you can kind of finally say, all right, well, I'm done with this shit. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Therapy is, is interesting, and it's helpful to um, reframe a lot of these things that uh, have happened to us and be able to perceive them from a different perspective. Um, so on and so forth. Uh, what else is going on? So I'm, I'm doing – I'm feeling good. I'm drinking less. Uh, yeah, I mean, weirdly, I, I do feel overall a lot better. I mean, there are ups and downs on this podcast. I mean, there was one episode where I literally was, like, contemplating suicide because I was in that much pain. And it it gets exhausting being in pain all the time. Um, just from like it's just neck it's neck pain, tension, trigger points, muscle knots. And I don't live a very active life, lifestyle. Like I get to the gym a lot more now, but you underestimate the effect that like sitting all the time has. And like my job is to write and be a voiceover guy, so most of my life is just sitting, sending emails and writing and shit. So I really am looking forward to getting to a place where I can just be walking around more, going to yoga living in some beach town where, like, I just go outside and say, all right, all right, all right, uh, COVID be damned. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling right now a lot better, and I intend to continue to feel better because the self-work is, uh, it can be very addicting, and once you get a taste of what you can be, you must continue on that path. 
Um, I don't really want to talk about politics. I mean, I'll, I think I'll do a video about this, but just like, oh, God, the fucking... I'm, look, Biden, great. How about it? Um, Obama was a terrible president in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean that only to say that, like, our problems are not all solved. Okay, I was in a deli the day after the election was called and, you know, some woman with a rainbow flag mask on came up to me and she recognizes me from the coffee shop that I used to go to. And she's like, oh, how are you feeling? Feeling good? I was like, not really. She's like, oh, come on. You're not happy on this historic day? I was like, the fuck are you talking about? Historic what? She's like, the election. I was like, oh, another old white guy? She's like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess that's true, yeah. It's like this champagne bottle pop-in mentality that like rich white liberals are diving right into is the exact problem that I feared with another Democratic president, you know? White people's perception, like they're like, we did it! Like, we didn't do shit. You know, the work is just, what you, you didn't beat Trump. You earned an, earned an opportunity to deliver on all this marching, protesting, hashtagging you've been doing for the past four years that Trump has apparently uh, prevented you from being able to act on. So it's like, game on, okay? And mind you, uh, Joe Biden is the only president, presidential Democratic candidate during the debates that uh, mentioned the G word, gentrification, okay? So all these people in Harlem, you know, walking outside of their fucking $2 million brownstones, you know, waving flags, popping champagne bottles, talking about we did it. Um, are you still going to be saying that if he passes some uh, anti-gentrification legislation where uh, minorities need to own a certain amount of businesses and property in a neighborhood? I don't know. I feel like you'll be suddenly being like, well, let's uh, let's dial that back there. Let's not move too fast. So all I'm saying is is the, the, the type of celebration, I think, is weird and deeply reflective of sort of the arrogance that uh, rich white liberals approach race relations and politics with. You know, yeah, it's that whole notion. That I've talked about it before where they're like, just vote. You have to vote. Just vote. You know, it's like, yeah, for a system that benefits you much better than it benefits minorities. And I know you can make the argument that voting for the right person will, you know, help minorities. But it's like, okay, we've been saying that for fucking 60 years, you know, and like, yes, things have marginally gotten better. But I think even then you could argue that because I think the economic uh, prosperity of African-Americans Americans in this country, at least in terms of home home ownership, has drastically dropped off. So I don't know that this sort of voting paradigm is always uh, able to be conflated with minority uh, prosperity, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, you know, and then now we're doing this thing where it's just like, you know, I don't want to go on this, like, lesbian revenge tour of anyone who voted for Trump. And, like, you know, it's like, we won. Like, the day after the election, I saw another, like, Antifa-led. It was a guy with an Antifa black outfit on with a megaphone, followed by, like, two heavyset white women in unicorn outfits screaming, yeah, fuck Trump. And I'm like, we, we, we won. We won. We, we won. Like, let's get to work. We don't, you don't have to do that anymore. But, like, and, and that's the point. These people don't seem so much interested in solutions and executing things that are actually going to help people. They just want to feel right. And those are two different things, you know, feeling right and affecting change or, you know, being indignant and affecting change are entire are two entirely different things. And I think that rich white liberals are more preoccupied with their ego and vanity than they are with the hard work it takes to change the world. <sighs>
And final thing on politics, uh, you know, it's like, again, rich white liberals really are very comfortable with this non-bipartisan, non-reconciliation-based rhetoric, you know? Like, they're all about, like, you know, what's that stupid meme? Or it's not a stupid meme, but there's that meme that's like, uh, you know, we could disagree and still be friends, but, like, but, like, but, but not with racism, transphobia, bigotry, which is, like, sure, of course, but the problem with that logic is that who is deciding what is racist, homophobic, and, and, and bigoted? That's the problem, right? You know, we're looking at a lot of things that people say and do and very quickly calling them Nazis. And it's just like, are they a Nazi or are they just a fucking moron who's poor and has no educational opportunities and because of their own limited worldview has to rely on racism to justify their shitty lot in life? Yes, that's very generous, but we're in, we are the better ones. So we have to be generous, right? People think that we can just live in a... It's, the world isn't Facebook. You can't delete, unblock, and unfriend people you don't like, all right? But rich white liberals have the luxury of that. They have the luxury of sort of a skewing bipartisanship because they can afford to not live around people they don't want to live around. The rest of us have to go to work with these people, have to ride the bus with these people, have to live in the same neighborhoods as someone who might be a quote-unquote racist or someone who dis, who is a you know homophobic or whatever the case may be. Rich white liberals can literally choose to live around people who are like them because they have the money to, and that's what they're doing, particularly in this town of Kingston. It's got a lot of people who all think the same thing, buying houses together, uh, you know, with who all are running the same flags on their lawn, and it all feels really good. But the rest of us have to live amongst the fucking cesspool. So for us, reconciliation isn't like a, we're not doing it because it's, you know, the right thing to do. It's because we have to. We work with these people. We ride the tram with these people. These people are a part of our lives. And those of us who can't just telecommute for, for all, with a six-figure job, uh, you know, in a goddamn farmhouse in Stone Bridge, Stone Ridge, uh, yeah, of course you, you want to ignore and delete and, you know, fuck evil Trump supporters. I'll, I'll, I'll hold no court with them. You can afford to. The rest of us can't. So th- that's the problem with this champagne bottle popping uh Champagne bottle popping, Joe Biden celebrating, wheeling and dealing, son of a gun. It's that Ric Flair. Woo! Um, so I don't know. I, I think, I mean, we'll see, but Obama was fine. Joe Biden's fine, but you're going to see a whole bunch of fucking bankers. And uh, he already, uh, didn't he already appoint like a DuPont executive to the EPA? Like, come on, guys. Like, you think these people are much that much different than Trump? Trump just sounded like a piece of shit. Uh, as Well, he was, but. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it the sh- we didn't win. <laughs> the work's just begun, guys. The work has just fucking begun. All right. Uh, you ain't shit as a rapper if you didn't transform into an animal in a music video. That's just something I wrote down. <laughs> I was watching Snoop Dogg. Why well, my mother like a name? Or like she's the music video. He's sitting in a bedroom with a girl. And she's like, my dad's going to go home. You better get out of here. He said, don't worry about it, girl. And then it goes to 90s morph technology, and he turns into a Rottweiler. <laughs> and it just, I just love those morphs. Or LL Cool J turning into a shark in uh, Deepest Bluest. My hat is like a shark's fin. Deepest Bluest. My hat is like a shark's fin. Uh, that's just something I wrote down. All right. I'm feeling kind of tired. This cold air is weakening me. I need to get back to the sun. 
Uh, all right, so let's just wrap this up. What were we saying? All right, therapy's good. Trying to deal with my anger. I can still feel my mom's ex-boyfriend's foot in my chest kicking me across the room, and that's why I don't particularly trust her or, you know, feel or feel much affinity due to with her with current uh, circumstances happening. Another, another weird dude. And the irony is, like, the guy kicked me in my grandma's living room, which is where I got into the duel of fates with my father when he got out of prison. He and I didn't fight, but it was it was a significant screaming match. And when someone's 6'4", 250 pounds, and uh, you're not, you know, that verbal, uh, I ain't the one, can be intense. And my mom was just sitting there quiet in the corner, as usual. All right. Well, this has been a fucking delight. Um... You know, out to my 30s, take care of yourself. I, I recommend therapy. If you have the means, try to try to make it happen, you know. Uh, I'm fortunate to be able to have access to these services. And, you know, if you are, it's it, even if you do have access to, you know, insurance or whatever, it can be hard to get in and make that happen. So if you are have any inclination towards whether or not you should be doing it, I, I highly recommend because uh, I mean, let me be clear. Like, I'm not fixed. It's not like, oh, okay, I'm all better now. But it's a tool in making yourself not feel like a piece of garbage, uh, which is the point of this podcast, guys. We're dealing with family trauma. We're dealing with external political trauma. We're dealing with physical trauma. We are trying to get ourselves to a better place, people. Because in 2021, we're going to go back. We're going to take the country back. We're going to defeat COVID. The comedy clubs are going to open. We're going to have random sex. It's going to be good. Yes, America, I believe in you. There's a...